Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, you're listening to a bonus episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, where we're bringing you our take on Triangle of Sadness. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. We do. And in this holiday episode, <laughs> we're, we're on holidays right now. We are, but we're still coming to you through <laughs> your ear holes. <laughs> we're covering off Triangle of Sadness, in which a fashion model celebrity couple join an eventful cruise for the super rich. The very, very rich. Things take a turn. <laughs> Triangle of Sadness is written and directed by Ruben Ust and stars Harris Dickinson, Charlby Dean, Woody Harrelson, Vicky Berlin, Henrik Dawson, Zlatko Burick, Jean-Christophe Folly, Iris Bourbon, Dolly De Leon, and Sunny Meles. Now, Ruben Ustland is a two-time Palm d'Or winning director for mm. his films The Square and now Triangle of Sadness. Yes. Um, he's also directed the critically acclaimed Force Majeure, which I really enjoyed. I don't know if you've seen the original. No. We have covered the remake that came later with Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Will Farrell called Downhill. Ah, so he was the original, original. filmmaker behind yes. that. Gotcha. Yes. So his films are known for these satirical takes on human behaviour and, you know, the gender mm. roles that get inverted in extreme situations. Mm. I mean, he opened up the film with that position, right? Mm. He opens it up with this series of painfully pretentious, like elitist world of fashion, yeah. right? Where Carl, the character of Carl, played by Harris Dixon, is a male model and he's at a casting. So you see all the movements in walking, the faces that they pull, <laughs> and there's this just ongoing dichotomy between some guy with a camera capturing all this stuff and he gets this lineup of male models to show the difference between the looks they would give for like a brand like Bellingario. How do you pronounce it? Balenciaga. 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 Silencio Bruno. Uh, and, and also H. <laughs> 
H&M. And so they're smiling with H&M and then they're all like very serious for the uh, high-end fashion yeah, labels. Yeah. So, I mean, it just thrusts you into this just painful world. Do you know what's an interesting bit of trivia about why it was set in this world at the beginning anyway? Mm-hmm. So the settings in Ruben Ustlin's films actually connect back to his own experiences. So Force Majeure, he used to film in ski resorts. That was an early job of uh-huh. his. The square, which is set in the art world, is loosely inspired by his own time in the art world and an art installation that he did. And now Triangle of Sadness, his partner is actually a fashion photographer and he has actually developed a menswear label. Really? Yeah. There you go. So he has this fascination with that world and turning these worlds that he's moved in into films, which I find really interesting. As artists, there's some great authenticity when you're pulling on experience, lived experiences, right? Yeah. And, and you have this really unique perspective or window into that world. So the fact that his wife is a fashion photographer she would have a really unique perspective yeah. for him to like feed on and, and bring to the screen. This is also his first English language film. And I think that was reflected in the script mm. a little bit. He does improvise scenes a lot to flesh out the script with the actors so that he gets the nuances right that he might be missing when he writes the script. Because my understanding is that he, when they go to film, they don't necessarily have a script. No, they don't have the full script. They go through all this rehearsal, ad lib, improvisation. Yeah. And I feel like, just to build on your point, that was felt yeah. in this movie, especially in the pacing of yes. it or lack thereof. Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about that. And mm. I think that could have been covered up by some tighter editing. God, yeah. You would, like, cleverly disguise that mm. if, you, if you just tightened it a little bit. And, look, scenes go on and on and on. But I know that it's playing into the feeling that he wants you to feel about the discourse that's going mm. on, the, the lens on satire and these situations. I mean, one of the first scenes in the film there's an argument about who pays for what mm. at dinner, who, mm. who's going to cover the bill. It is excruciating, but there are layers of relatability to it. But it just went on and on and on. And if that was an idea of how scenes play out for the rest of the movie, it sets you up for that pretty early on. Here's another bit of trivia for you. So that, Ooh, I love this. That argument that happens about who should pay for dinner and the gender roles, you know, whether the man should always pay for dinner. Yep. And in the fashion world – female models often earn more than male models. And that's another thing that he's sort of touching on. Mm. But that argument actually happened with him and his partner at the time when he took her to Cannes and he kept paying for dinner and he was like, "Mm, hang on, I don't want to get into these gender roles. (laughs) He said that that argument actually played out in the elevator where, Mm -hmm. you know, he was losing it. She tries to shove a 50-euro note into his pocket and he loses it even more. So that really happened. You know what? This is making me a little uncomfortable because the shit that goes down in this movie, did most of this actually happen to him? (laughs) I hope not because it's fucking awful. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get to that a bit later. It goes on a bit, doesn't it? We didn't talk about exactly how long it is, but it's two and a half hours long. It's a bloody long film. It's a slog, mate. It is an absolute slog. I found it entirely too long and it really took me out of it, unfortunately. Completely agree. And look, I went into this movie so freaking excited because it won the Palm Door at Cannes Film Festival. I love satire. I mean, you and I recently reviewed the brilliant film, The Menu. It's one of our favourite from this year. You can go and listen to that episode right now. So I went in going, satire, yes, another Mm -hmm. one. I can't wait to relish in this. But, Lee, I was so... I was so done with this movie probably within an hour and it went for an hour and a half more than that. It was just freaking excruciating. It takes a while to build up and it's set out in three acts. 
acts. So mm. we have the couple, which is the first act. Is that what it was called? The couple? Yes. Something like that, mm. which introduces us to these model influencers, Carl and Yaya, mm. who have a transactional and unstable relationship. Unstable for yeah. sure. <laughs> they get invited on this expensive cruise for the rich to basically just take photos, freeload, take photos. Just exactly. be Instagram bitches. <laughs> exactly. Then we get the second act, which is the yacht, mm-hmm. which takes us on the cruise with them, where the staff are just dying behind the eyes at all the requests of these eccentric guests, which right. we'll get into a bit later. Oh. Can't wait. Uh, and then we get to the island, the third act, mm. and it sees some key characters stranded on an island after pirates attack the ship. Mm. So these three acts, I mean, each one could have been a film within itself. 100%. Really. There's at least two and a half movies in this yeah. film. And each part gets more and more absurd, but it takes a while to get that momentum mm. up and running, which is a shame because the third act is actually really interesting. Yeah, it, it is. In, in everything that it presents, it flips the whole classist, privileged sort of thing mm. about rich people, but then people, the crew, and literally trying to survive. Yeah. So they're, they're the most interesting layers of the film happen yeah. there, but you've just gone through Helen back <laughs> for the first hour or so in the movie and yeah. there's a whole other movie to watch and it just loses its steam, unfortunately. Do you know what triangle of sadness actually means? Yes, I've got one developing in my mid-30s. It's, <laughs> it's the uh, the brow. It's yes. your triangle of sadness in between you, but just above the ridge of your nose. That's yeah. your triangle of sadness. It could be fixed with Botox, it apparently. Can. Yes, yes, where uh, your frown lines appear. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, that's another layer on top of it. Yeah. We mentioned the power class dynamics are flipped on their head mm. when the rich are forced to rely on this housekeeper, mm. played by Dolly De Leon, to survive because she's the only one who knows how to fish and start a fire. That's right. How convenient for her. Yep. So the power balance completely is in her hands and it's interesting to see how these rich, privileged people play into that Mm. but also are shocked as to why that they need to answer to someone that they see as, you know, fodder. Yes. Well, for most of the second act, they're Mm. just treating her like she doesn't really exist and all the staff that they're just there to entertain them, not do their jobs. No. Well, it's part of their jobs, I guess, but there's one scene where this rich lady is trying to get one of the staff members to jump in the water fully clothed with her and she's like, I've got to work. Like, I've got to – no, but she doesn't want to say no. And she's like, you're saying no to me? And, oh, oh, no, better not say no. You know, the poor staff, what they go through in this second act. Mm. And in the second act, I don't know if many people would know this or have heard this, that a lot of people walked out of the screening in Cannes Film Festival because of a certain 15-minute long scene in the second act where things just go to shit, literally. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Literally. Shit piss vomit. (laughs) As a storm ravages the ship during a very seafood-heavy captain's dinner. And the captain, played by Woody Harrelson, is another eccentric character within himself. Isn't he just? He's just sitting there with all this chaos going on, eating his American burger and fries (laughs) and getting absolutely trolleyed. Yeah, and the staff are trying to tell him there's going to be a big storm on the night of the captain's dinner, so any night except Thursday. And he's like, okay, Thursday. And she's like, no, any night except Thursday. Like, I heard you, Thursday. Like, Don't you just want to tear your goddamn hair out of some of these characters. You can see what's going to happen, what's yes. coming. But, yeah, it's very graphic. It's very oh. full on. And it also, like every sequence in this movie, it never seems to end. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, it, but it's definitely the one that you want to end because there's only so much you can stomach, so oh, to speak, yeah. because it just keeps – 
adding layers and layers of shit, piss and vomit to it. Yes. And, and people oh, sloshing oh, oh. around in the piss and vomit oh. and shit. It just keeps queasy, actually. They keep, they keep sloshing back and forward. The toilets keep overflowing. It's oh. People slip down the stairs. And they're just so defeated and they're just literally swimming oh, in it. Oh, it's disgusting. Horrendous. Yeah. Absolutely anyway. horrendous. Oh, my God. There's also a scene in the film which really pissed me off. Uh, and you know. I know exactly. You know what one. you're going to talk about. There's an mm. animal cruelty scene that really dragged out. So unnecessary. I can understand why the story behind it. I can mm. understand why because it illustrates how inept these guests are at surviving in the wilderness. Sure. But something like that, I mean, it doesn't show too graphically, but it is. it does feel very graphic. It shows enough. And how they film it and the sound, yep. it, it, nah. it just, yeah. We, we can move on from it if you want. Well, no, my point is that that immediately disconnects me from the film. Mm. And everything that came after that, I was like. Yeah. I'm surprised you lasted that long, <laughs> being connected to the movie. <laughs> well, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Yeah, but it didn't help. It didn't help no. in a film that just kind of really laboured itself on you. Yeah. And before we move on from the story and the script, okay, mm. I want to ask you about the ambiguous ending, which we won't give away. We're left wondering what happens, which is not generally an issue. It's okay mm. to use your imagination and figure out for yourself what you think might have happened. Mm. But when you've already sat through something so long and it felt like a chore and it was very tedious, Mm. it can be frustrating as hell to not get a resolution. I felt a few things in that moment. I felt relieved it was over. (laughs) And then I felt really pissed because I love ambiguity. Don't get me wrong. There's something quite exciting about figuring it out yourself. But there weren't enough foundations there for you to do that. And I just wanted to get out of there because it it was just such a slog. And it was quite a slap in the face that the movie ended when it did. And I was like, well, what the fuck? Mm. Couldn't you just, couldn't you wrap something up for us? Yeah. I was annoyed. How did you feel? Yeah, like I said. Yeah. Just, oh, frustrated. 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 Mm. And like I said, don't normally worry about things like that. I like Mm. to use my imagination and figure out for myself what I think might have happened. Yeah. It's fun to do that. It's just after so long, Mm. it was very unsatisfying. Yeah. Let me say that. So let's talk about the characters Mm. and performances. There is simply no reasoning with anyone in this movie. They're all deplorable, insufferable human beings, just as a blanket statement across the board, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. We'll start with Carl and Yaya because they are sort of the focus of the film, Mm. played by Harris Dickinson and the late Charles B. Dean, who actually passed away in August of this year, just before the film was released. Oh, gosh, I did not know that. Yeah, very, very sad and a lung, lung infection or something like that. Oh, goodness. Oh, yeah, she was love. she was really going places. She has a lot of talent. Mm. As a couple, they go really well together. They have this mm. imbalanced dynamic, as we said, relating to their earnings. Later in this film, Carl has to use his beauty to get on top. Yes. Literally. Yeah. So that changes their <laughs> dynamic as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, what did you think of their performances? Oh, I thought they were great. The, mm. There was no bad performance in this movie. It was just phenomenal. And you could see the dedication they had, how much fun they were having with the character. Mm-hmm. The character of Carl, he's navigating the world of fashion and his relationship yep. as well. It's an ongoing red thread between that these people are just such bad communicators yep. and they just cannot see eye to eye, but they're playing up against each other they're always trying to get the upper hand Mm. and that is a really interesting thing to watch and beautifully portrayed uh, by these two he also has a lot of insecurity oh he's deeply insecure deeply insecure despite looking like 
the statue of David. He's <laughs> yes. very insecure. Exactly. They both did a fantastic job. Woody Harrelson, mm. MVP, GOAT. He really is. He's he? playing this idiosyncratic, perpetually drunk, yeah. job-avoiding mm. captain who just wants to stay in his cabin. He doesn't want to come out and deal with any of the mm. guests. Yeah. When he does, it's very reluctant. Mm. As you can, Some funny moments that come out from that, like a guest um, saying that the sales are dirty, but it's a motorised yacht. There are no fucking sails <laughs> on the yacht, but he can, you cannot reason with these people. Yeah. And he is, I guess, the lens of the audience looking in because he sees it how it is. And there's no wonder having a job like that, that he is so unhinged and lives <laughs> off chaos because he's surrounding himself with these rich fuckwits. And so the only way yeah. he can deal with them is to write himself off yeah. uh, at the bottom of the bottle every night. And quotes. Karl Marx constantly. God, that was a a very bizarre sequence. He kind of buddies up with a billionaire Russian and they get drunk together and are reading the Communist Manifesto over the speaker (laughs) system while the guests are all being injured and puking with shit and piss going everywhere in the middle of the storm. It's just utter chaos. It's utterly farcical completely. (laughs) And you've got Paula played by Vicky Berlin who is, I guess, the cruise director, kind of chief of staff. Yeah. She's trying to juggle the captain and get him out of his cabin and she's yeah. increasingly dealing with the out there requests from all these eccentric guests. Mm. Yeah, she's played really well by Vicky Berlin as well. She's a professional turd polisher <laughs> because like, she's just got so much shit to deal with, yeah. literally yeah. and metaphorically. I wonder how many times we've said shit in this episode. I don't know. We might do a little count at the end. Of course, we've got Abigail played by Dolly DeLeon, who is the housekeeper. You know, she tolerates her job, but then when the power dynamics get shifted, mm. she relishes in that power shift when everyone's relying on her for survival. Yeah, it's a wicked performance, isn't it? it I had is. a lot of fun watching her on screen. And what that illustrates is... Something that Ruben Ostland is exploring is that does power and privilege affect your behaviour? Because she doesn't have that for most of the film and then she gets it and it does really change the way she deals with people. That's such a good point because it makes you look inward about if you had money, if you won the lotto tomorrow and you were a 20 millionaire overnight, Mm. would you change behaviour? Would you see yourself as better than others and you really do hope you won't yeah but this is a great lens into that scenario where it's life or death and you have the balance of power Mm. and it's uncomfortable to think that human beings because we're so flawed can just completely like that change and treat people differently and start reveling Mm. in it rolling around in it basically the director uh, made a comment in the production notes that you know when he flies business class as opposed to economy class, he Mm -hmm. does notice a difference in his behaviour that he just sits back and watches people going into economy and feels quite smug about it, which is an interesting thing to admit. But again, again, (laughs) it plays into that, that, yeah, Mm. do we change our behaviour in those kind of situations? Mm. Well, I mean, there's this great scene on the yacht at the beginning of the movie or whenever it was, 45 minutes in or something, (laughs) I don't know. Was the beginning, was it the beginning, the end? Time is a construct. It was the beginning (laughs) of the second movie of the movie of three movies. And where they're sitting on the deck and Carl says to Yaya, why are you speaking to the crew? Mm. You know, this isn't, they're the crew, we're the guests. It's like, but they got the tickets for free. They're not actually yeah. wealthy people. No, and then he goes and ends up getting this guy fired who was actually oh. talking to her. And then you can kind of see the regret or guilt. Yeah. But then he quickly gets on with his life, yeah, exactly. I guess. it's Yeah. 
All that shit goes on in this movie. There's a whole cavalcade of other quirky characters. Mm. You know, the Russian oligarch that we talked about mm-hmm. who's like, you know, he has great power. He's someone very important, obviously. There's this lovely British couple who are actually arms dealers. Yeah. Which is quite funny. What a, what a contrast. Yes. <laughs> and then, of course, the reclusive alcoholic captain and like, there's a few more characters in there. There's a um, – oh, the – woman who's had a stroke and can only say a few words that was a weird inclusion that was a weird inclusion and she kept saying the same thing over and over and over Mm. again well that can happen they just go to phrases that they're familiar with because they they can't say anything else Mm. yeah yeah that's actually true yeah so there's all these you know quirky characters who some of them aren't great some of them but yeah that weird dichotomy like with the british couple Mm. they're actually really sweet and kind but they sell grenades and landmines yeah. for a living. Like, well, it's so weird. So weird. And they they comment on how it's been really hard for them recently, you know, working in that industry. It's like, <laughs> are you aware what industry you're actually working in? Boo-hoo, boo-hoo. Yeah, boo-hoo. Get out the violin. There's this great moment between those two characters where they come into contact with their product. And I won't <laughs> say anything else, but it's just a beautiful chef's kiss moment, that's for sure. It is. Let's talk about the sets and locations and cinematography and stuff. So it's filmed mostly in Greece, mm. like the beach scenes with beautiful island views, Amazing. gorgeous. And the yacht sequences are actually shot on the Christina O, which once belonged to billionaire shipping magnate Aristotle Onassis, who was, of course, Jackie Kennedy's second husband after JFK was assassinated. Oh, there you go. So it's a very, very expensive yacht. Probably cost them a fortune to film on it. I can't imagine. For like nine days or something like that. They did that, all those exteriors in nine days? Everything on the yacht, nine days. Wow, that's impressive. But it must have been very expensive. Oh, gosh. Yeah, balance the books on that bad boy. (laughs) I'd hate to be the accountant on the production there. One of my favourite scenes from a cinematography perspective was... The sequence with the camera rig, which was swooping from left to right in the back of the cab after the argument at the dinner table with the bill. Mm. I just I loved the rigging of the camera and how it just toggled between the two. True. It's, this film is shot really, really beautifully, I found. Mm. And when you have the rig of the ship in the storm, it reminded me of Inception, you know, when they're <laughs> running up and down the hallways. But imagine performing and resetting that rig with everything falling everywhere, like the rehearsals and stuff going on and all the oh. elements involved, like the literal, obviously not real shit, piss and vomit. No, but, but you've taken me back to that scene now. Oh, and I'm like, oh my God, the amount of takes, which were on average about 23 takes per shot, I think. Oh my God. The amount of times that people would have had to have been sloshing around in <laughs> shit looking. <laughs> shit. Shit. Oh, probably oh. Would have, it wasn't real shit, obviously, but. Oh, my God. I mean, it's a feat in filmmaking to deliver something like that. I didn't want to have to think about that. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, let's wrap this up now, please. (laughs) Let's wrap up this bad boy. Okay, so Triangle of Sadness is a rich and compelling satire that lost its steam and hold on me quite quickly. I love me some satire. All the ingredients are there, but the final product didn't hit the mark. With brilliant, committed performances, a wicked script in there, fantastic set pieces and a bizarre and chaotic series of events, this should have been a home run but sadly doesn't make it to home base. To its credit, Triangle of Sadness owns its take on a world rife with class divide and hypocrisy but I found myself incredibly irritated and bored 
begging for it to end and for some relief for being constantly beaten over the head with its formula of unredeemable characters, I'm going to rate Triangle of Sadness two and a half popcorn kernels. Well, Triangle of Sadness is another satirical thought provoker from Ruben Ustland that unpacks human nature and decision-making in extreme situations. I can see why it's worthy of the palm d'or for its interesting themes and unique execution, but I found the film entirely too long and became disconnected from what I was watching, unfortunately. Tighter editing would have improved the film's impact. I'm giving Triangle of Sadness two and a half popcorn kernels out of five. Right, on the same page yeah. there. Well, you can check Triangle of Sadness in Australian cinemas from December 26. And that's it for another bonus episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim. Thank you so much for joining us. And as always, we'll catch you next time. We are now on YouTube, guys, where you will find our latest celebrity video interviews. Simply search Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single one. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.